0: of Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders. I'm here today in our first episode of our second season with Agata Ketterick. Agata works at the University of New England, and if you haven't seen her, she is a Tableau Public featured author, has three visits of the day, and to date, 67 public visualizations, which has been pretty prolific in terms of uh, getting a portfolio out there. She has a really clean visual style and is super active in public projects like Makeover Monday. Agata, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Zach?
0: I'm doing really well also. Uh, so cards on the table, everyone knows I often disclose too much information. Usually, I record these podcasts at night, uh, so my energy is waning, and I have to sort of get my energy up today. We're recording around lunchtime. So uh, in addition to drinking more coffee than I regularly do for this, you're getting uh, that solid uh, midday energy. So uh, if the vibe is different right now, that's that's what's going on. But I'm really excited to talk with you. um, I talked with you about doing this like back in the fall. I'm terrible at schedules. And then we had some conflicts and I actually forgot at one point that I asked you, but now we're back and I'm super excited because um, you and I started talking several months ago back when you're working on one of your visits, uh, which was your mom mom's, which is one of your favorites in my portfolio. And ever since then, I've just sort of been like following your style. It's like when you first came on my radar, but you've got this very nice clean look, which seems to be one of the current trends going on in the the data community. So uh, let me ask you this, as I rambled for a full minute. Um, how have you come to your personal visual aesthetic?
1: Okay, that's a hard question to answer, but um, I guess it just sort of starts with how I got into data visualization. So sort of how it happened was um, my former boss handed me uh, Colin Affleck's books, Data, um, after I had shown her a series of, high charts I wanted to use for a report do with that. And I read the book and I loved it. And I think a lot of it came from Cole's style. So, you know, taking away clutter and all those sort of things that she talks about in that book. So that was kind of how it started, I guess. Um, And then I guess I just love the clean visualization. So I'm a big fan of Judith Becker's work. Definitely have learned a lot from her have been working on adding white space on my visualizations as well. Kind of when I scroll down to the bottom, I see there's less white space in the past. Um, so we've definitely been adding. So yeah, I guess that's how I've gone. I mean, that
0: makes a lot of sense. Um, I work at JLL and one of our, Aesthetics that we talk about when we're creating our internal visits is we do talk about white spaces. The size, you know, use of white space draws more attention to your data. The more dense you become with how much data you pack in a page, you may feel like you're increasing value, but actually you might be creating so much of a cognitive overload that people see nothing. So by sort of distilling things down to the things that are most important and then you know using appropriate colors or shapes or charts to you know leveraging those pre-attentive attributes to bring the attention to those things, uh, you get the biggest bang for your buck and you see that in your work and you sort of see, I don't know if I call it like the maturing of public work, but in the past like 18 months to two years, you've definitely seen some shifts. And part of it may be the fact that um, we primarily look at Tableau work since we sort of are Tableau public people, um, but part of it may be that the tools are getting better. But I think another part of it is people are working through the bad habits. So, like you talk about Malcolm Gladwell and his ten thousand hours to become an expert in something. Yeah, you, know, you people have to work through a lot of hours of not being amazing at something to get good at it. But when you have like sort of a community and a community initiative, you don't necessarily have to put in those 10,000 hours yourself. Other people have put in a portion of that 10,000 hours. So you're getting to see other people work through some of the things like, oh, maybe don't do this, maybe do do this. And you're able to make like great leaps ahead. And it feels like, you know, I see your work and I think it's comparable to like uh, J.R. Capreros and Judith Becker um, in terms of your aesthetic and the cleanness of it. And I think that's sort of where things are headed, like, right now. Like, you're the tip of the spear in terms of what does modern data visualization look like? Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, you've got 67 vizs in your public portfolio. And you've been heavily involved in public projects, like, particularly Makeover Monday. It seems like you hit pretty much, like, every one, at least for a while, um, what is the uh, the draw of the public project, to you personally?
1: So, I I learned about Tableau Public, um, I guess a little over a year ago. So, I was uh, I went to TC19 and I was coming home and I was just so excited and inspired. I made this long list of goals I had for the year. Um, on my long, long plane ride home. Um, And one of those was to, you know, I wanted to get better at data visualization. I wasn't really sure what that would look like, um, but I made this kind of vague goal. Um, And then I stumbled across Makeover Monday and I... I just, I didn't look at Twitter at all. I just went and submitted um, finding out later that I should also post it on Twitter, which I kind of wasn't excited about. Not really that into social media, Um, but I did it anyway, um, because I really wanted the feedback. And I guess, so you have to submit to Twitter to get on Ms. Review. It was around that time that I, I saw, you know, quite a few people who had committed to doing a whole year of Makeover Monday. And I was amazed by the visualizations. So, you know, people like Michelle Freeman, um, Mira, Evelina, It just, I was blown away by what they were submitting. And I was like, Hey, I want to get better at this too. And so maybe if, if I commit to a whole year, maybe that will happen for me. Um, And so I made this goal. I kind of, you know, had to go big, (laughs) had to commit to the full year. And so it's kind of started out slowly. Um, I feel like nobody really noticed until probably the, the mom viz was was kind of a breakthrough viz, I guess. Um, and so I don't know. I, I don't have, I like didn't have enough time to kind of search for my own data. So that's kind of what I liked about Makeover Mondays. You at least have the set and you have the um, boundary there. And I've just learned so much by being involved in this project and seeing what everybody else is doing. I've definitely learned, you know, just from being exposed to different styles and chart types. I've definitely learned a lot from other people.
0: Makeover Monday is definitely a great growth opportunity, particularly if you're wanting to sort of dip your toe into putting work out publicly, because they have taken that burden off you of having to find data, which uh, which can be one of the biggest obstacles, right? Because if you don't have data, you've got no building materials, you've got nothing to make something with. But on top of that, you've got the multiple facets. And I know I'm repeating myself, the but you've got the fact that if someone else puts out something and you think it's awesome the only obstacle is you at that point because you had the same tool and you had the same data. So if they made something really cool, there's no reason you can't download the workbook, figure out how they did it and then figure out how to do that yourself. So it's great in terms of that, but also the fact that there's so much of a sort of people surrounding it, both in terms of the leadership of Makeover Monday, with like Andy and Eva and Charlie, but also all the other participants. So if you're looking to jump in, and particularly if you don't have like a sort of large data social network around you, it's a great way to collaborate and meet people and develop peer relationships because you're all sort of working on the same project, right? You're all jumping in and you're doing this. And sometimes, you know, you may not love what you put out that week and sometimes you might, but um, either way, at the end of the day, you've grown through doing that both you know, in terms of your skill using the tool, but also your skill with visualization, your speed to market, all of that. Like I've always said, one of the things that helped me get faster at work was doing the personal projects, particularly Makeover Monday, because if you embrace that challenge of, hey, Makeover Mondays are supposed to be done fairly quickly, you know, they say about an hour or so. If you like really embrace that challenge, you're not going to put together some of the most razzle dazzle fizzes you've ever made. But what you may end up doing is figuring out how to cut through noise quickly or surmount specific problems more quickly, which will definitely come in handy at work when you have like one of those uh, two minute drills where, you know, executives freaking out. You need something quickly and you have to just deliver. Um, Makeover Monday can help lower your uh, BPM a little bit when it comes to the situation.
1: Yes. And I, I know Andy says um, keep it to an hour, but. I venture to say that very few people actually do. Um, the few times that I have, just because i have been strapped for time, you can kind of tell, you know, there's just so much time. I don't know. I guess like the bar keeps, keeps going up higher and higher and you're, oh, I got to spend a little bit more time making this pretty.
0: The bar definitely does shift. And I often think that when I see people consistently producing work that I feel is like, hey, you put like 10 hours into this makeover Monday that's sort of when I feel it might be time to graduate to more personal projects because make it for Monday feels like a sandbox and a growing opportunity. Um, I like to think of it, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way. It's like watching a minor league baseball team. Like everyone there was the best player in their high school team. Right. And they're all there because they're hoping to go play for, I don't know the Braves, but at the point at which they start knocking it out of the park you know, around the other minor league players, it's time to sort of voluntarily remove yourself from the minor league and step into the place where you're either participating in the more challenging projects like Workout Wednesday, which I've compared to leg day, because frankly, like I look at Workout Wednesdays and like, I really don't want to do this because this is just like the hardest part of work when you're trying to figure out that problem that seems insurmountable. Or alternatively, you know, go forage, either find or cultivate your own data source and create a passion project instead. Um, which isn't me saying, hey, quit Makeover Monday. I'm, I'm a big fan of Makeover Monday and I don't want to say I'm waving anyone off of it. But there's a certain point at which uh, you might outgrow it to a degree and might need to uh, start dipping your toe into some of the other exercises as a supplemental or instead of, or actually embracing that one hour time limit, you know, see what you yeah. can actually get done.
1: Yeah, I would definitely challenged myself to an hour a few times, but I definitely try not to spend more than three.
0: I think that's a reasonable. So let's talk about your mom viz. So I think this is where you and I first talked like back in the day, but where did the inspiration for your mom viz come from?
1: So I I was thinking about this one um, and I think it kind of came from a number of different places. So I probably read the Iron Quest challenge that month. So that was kind of in the back of my head of um, having to track data. Um, I had read deer data in the past. I, I have that book through it time to time. Um, so, you know, that was somewhere in in my mind. Um, and this was also, I think this was May or June or something. So we had just gone on lockdown in the middle of March. And so my kids were home and I was home working. My husband was home. So we were all home together, um, trying to juggle all these different things. And just one day, you know, probably out of frustration of how many times they actually say mom to me it, the idea clicked um and I think also I had wanted to do a radial uh bar chart so that was also somewhere in there and I was like this would actually work as a radial bar chart so I definitely wanted to give it a try um at first I was thinking uh, this big one is is the week so I think at first I was thinking like a clock um more of the the day but further down too
0: you know um I, I personally like to knock on radials a lot because oftentimes they're confusing, but I will say that mom is one of the radials that isn't confusing because it's, it's very linear and the concept of time works pretty well for radials, particularly since we're used to looking at clock faces and stuff like that. And thinking of time as something that loops back upon itself. So if you think of a week, you know, you know the structure of the week and how it goes around instead of sometimes it seems like a radial is just like a, a fun design choice to make when you're kind of bored with the data otherwise and you're looking for a design element. But I thought in in particular, um, this was a breaking out for you in terms of concept, because so many times it's not necessarily the design choice, which your design is striking on this, but it's the angle at which you approach the data. So, I mean, this is something that certainly parents, but especially mothers can relate to your children (laughs) incessantly calling your name and thinking about, I wonder how many times my kids do yell mom in a single day. I wonder what would happen if I record that. And that's the kind of things you see in like books like Freakonomics, those studies that, you know, it's tilting the world on its side and looking at a different angle and deciding what does this look like? This is a very clever way to sort of look at your relationship with your children because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like uh, how much are the children interacting with me on, on these days and at what times and in what volume. And you can, you can see like when fights occur based on the number of times mom is yelled out or times kids were up at odd hours based on when mom is said, it's just a very clever way to approach a relationship uh, by distilling it down to a single word.
1: Yeah, this was definitely fun. Um, it was, it was a little stressful collecting the data because I did have to count while you know all this craziness is happening um and I'm I'm sure the data is not perfect I'm sure I missed I missed quite a few but um it was definitely a fun one to work on I especially love the different patterns that came out for each kid um you know they're all different and um my son apparently has a lot more his meal time is <laughs> constantly hungry um so feed me mom please and then my daughter who stays up a little bit later than the other two. I don't know. It was just, it was, it was fun.
0: It it was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoy it personally. I think it's very cool how you did the radials and you actually made them like little, almost like radial comet charts. Although comets often are used to like, show a direction back or forth, but use it as a design element, and it really makes the entire thing pop, and your color choices are really great. But you also, like we were talking about with white space before, you left plenty of room for it to breathe, so you could have easily crammed this much information into something that fit on a single screen instead of making it a more of a scrolly story, but it benefits from having that extra space. It's more of like a web page where you sort of scroll down the page. And I think um, it doles the information out in a you know a reasonable time, so you're not getting too much or too little at a time. But particularly that initial graphic up front of the mom, it's almost like a supernova of of the um, the radial chart with all the instances of mom shooting off of it is really eye catching, and it was a clever way to approach all of this. But um, one I really wanted to talk to you about, and it's because I just freaking love Bob Ross. Um, is your Joy of Painting biz. So Joy of Painting was recently a Makeover Monday data set um, dealing with all of the different elements that Bob Ross would use in his paintings, right? So we, we think of him as the happy trees and happy clouds guy. What I didn't actually know, I was doing some research on him. My wife and I um, were watching Bob Ross randomly on Pluto TV last night because they have a channel that's almost exclusively dedicated to him. Um, One thing you wouldn't have expected from Bob Ross is that he was in the Air Force for 20 years, which doesn't, you know, come off as like the kindly hippie painter guy. You don't think of him as, hey, this guy was like a sergeant in the Air Force. But what's fascinating beyond that is that's where he first learned to paint and first became interested in painting. There was a USO painting class that he attended one day on a base, and I think in Alaska. And he's like, wow, I really like this painting thing. And who knew that this would become what he was not only known for, but he is uh, for many people synonymous with landscape paintings when, you know, in terms of popularity. But this is another one where you sort of embrace the radial. And this actually reminds me of a Luke Stanky design I saw him do on one of his. It's a radial connecting all of the elements of his paintings. It's a chord diagram showing how For this particular thing, like trees, how often trees occur with other things. So uh, the occurrence of trees with mountains or trees with snow and that sort of. um, I sort of embrace your rebelliousness in using radials so consistently. Uh, I, in the past, have chosen to use pie charts when I knew people would hate them specifically because I wanted to say, hey, I bet I can make this work and I'd like to see people be into this. And you consistently use them in places where I think they're very successful. Um, And this one in particular, because you're needing to show all these complex relationships between all these different elements. And Tableau doesn't really have a good native chart type for network. But I think this is, it's a fantastic design element showing all these different things as sort of a web connected together. Um, How did you come to choose this particular chart type and this design for this visualization?
1: So when I read the original article, um, it talked about, it focused on the relationship of what was in the painting. So if he, it was like a statistical analysis of if he painted a tree, how likely was it that there was also a mountain in the picture or something like that. So I wanted, so I had that idea of, of connections um, in my head when I was thinking about what to do. And at the time there was also This wasn't that long ago, but there's, there was also a lot of radials going around on Makeover Monday. I think they were more of the connected sinkies. Um, So at first I was thinking that way, but then the chord diagram made more sense um, for what I wanted to, um, hadn't So I just wanted to try. I followed Mark Reed's um, instructions. I don't entirely understand what I did. I will be honest. <laughs> but um, I felt like it worked for the data set and just wanted to play around with this relationship.
0: Let me ask you this. Did you get it right the first try or did it take a couple of passes with the instruction? I'm trying
1: to remember with this. one. I feel like this one was was he provided a template. So honestly, it was pretty. Easy. That's great. It was Like deceptively easy. It was one of those where I was like, well, I kind of wish I had learned a little bit more.
0: I mean, that's one of the upsides and downsides of the template. Like oftentimes you can get to your result quicker, but you might not necessarily know what you did, how, or why, but I mean, it's a trade-off obviously. And whether you're more invested in that sort of deep technical learning, or if you want to achieve the visual result, you're specifically aimed at I've only done one court before. And I did that um, for my iron Viz entry. And it was trying to connect uh, artists with things that they created um, and I wanted to show just the volume and um, relationships between these things. And it took me a little bit to figure out the chord and get it working. But more than that, I ended up shifting stuff around the chord a lot to achieve specific shapes and relationships that I wanted to happen. Which at at volume like this would be much more painful uh, than like the thirty something uh, dots I was working with. Yeah, I thought this one turned out particularly nice. And I one thing I appreciate about your design elements when you're putting together a visualization, you use bars on this as well, but you do rounded bars. So you're doing that sort of little hack where you're creating the line instead of the bar. And you're maintaining that sort of roundness and smoothness of consistency. So you're not having one visual element that's rounded and then another one that's sort of squared off. And ideally in future versions of Tableau, stuff like that will be uh, more available natively because when we look at, apps and the phones and, you know, UIs, we see a lot more rounded elements, but it's hard to achieve many of those natively uh, through Tableau without having, you know, a couple shortcuts to get there uh, through through hacky moves. Um, Is all of this intentional for you? Like when you're saying, I I want this and I'm going to make everything rounded or did the, the rounded bars come as like an afterthought?
1: So it's funny that you should say this because I actually remember your feedback on my mom chart. What on my mom is was to to do the rounded bars for that middle section. Um, so you taught me this trick. So it I wasn- don't even remember that. I know it was intentional, but you taught me it. So.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I I didn't know it myself. I had to learn it for something I was working on. But sometimes when everything else on your page is rounded, having that one thing that in other circumstances wouldn't wouldn't stand out in any way at all can be jarring. Um, if everything was squared on your page, it would be odd to have something that was suddenly round. Right. So it's thinking about it as the big picture, but yeah, it, it's highly effective the way you use it. And, uh, good, good job. I mean, I didn't invent it. I think I got it from Andy Creeble, but you know, it's,
1: you, you got that and, thought in my head of like making things match, I guess. So
0: every, everyone gets it from somewhere, right? Right. Like, and no, no one's truly, I, I thought I invented something once and it, it turns out like, uh, Neil had done it before and way cooler and better, but I might've just found the novel way to accomplish the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's always cool to discover something and know that you weren't the first one to it. Um, because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, really it's, you just want to get the thing that you wanted on the page and get it out there. So, um, you live in Maine. How cold is it there right now?
1: It's a good question. Let me check. Cause we never know day to day. This is actually a really warm winter. We haven't had much snow yet right now. Wow, it is balmy, 39.
0: Oh, wow, that's, um, it is actually 39 here also in Memphis, Tennessee. That is bizarre. Okay, we actually had snowflakes earlier today, which is super bizarre for us, like fat snowflakes. I mean, it's way too warm for it to stick at all, but it was very surreal to look outside my window, which is right next to my desk, and see just snow coming down because we don't get any snow here. I'm saying if we get a quarter of an inch a year, like that sticks to the ground, that's a lot. And that's enough to shut down schools and business.
1: Wow. Yeah. No, we have about a quarter inch is nothing. My kids are sad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're sad because it's only a quarter inch.
1: Yeah, because they want snow.
0: I mean, we because snow is so infrequent here, we have no reason to have infrastructure for it. It's it's way easier to just say, hey, everybody uh, leave early for the day than to actually spend the millions and millions of dollars it would take to have the appropriate plows and salt or ash and all that stuff. So, I mean, that, that's our attempt to roll with it. Around here, what we have instead is in the summer, because in August it can hit like 100 daily temperature. We actually have like cold tents that they'll set up because particularly for like the homeless populations and stuff, which every, everyone has somewhere. Um, it can be dangerous to be outside in that kind of heat. So having a safe place where you can go and, and be comfortable and not overheat and ex- become exhausted, um, that kind of stuff, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird world, right?
1: Interesting, yeah, we don't have that problem. It, it rarely gets that high here.
0: So. Um, I I use that to segue to what is probably your most viewed viz, which is your Snowfall's extreme viz. I was actually talking with uh, Justin Davis before I was coming on with you today. He's my manager at work as well. But uh, he was saying, oh man, because I told him I'd be talking with you. And he said, she did that blue one that I love so much. Um, So tell me about Snowfall extremes and how you came to choose this, because this is not one that was a makeover money. This is one where obviously you chose Ah, uh, to go find the data from the NOAA. Um, how did you come to this viz?
1: So again, it was it was a number of um, I think it was a number of things going on. I. I don't know. For some reason, I felt like I hadn't done kind of my own biz in a while. So I wanted snow was on my mind. Um, it being, I did this thinking ahead as a skier, we're always thinking about ahead about what kind of snow. Um, I had wanted to do something with maps. I actually love maps and I feel like I haven't done that much with them. Um, so that was on my mind. Steven Shoemaker had, um, had done this, this projection, Um, on a number of his visits. So I was kind of curious how he had done that. I actually reached out to him to ask him how he did this. Um, So he helped him with that part. Um, And then at the same time, all these curvy lines to maps were happening. So Christian Felix's iron. Wendy had put out quite a few of those. There was one makeover Monday with a ton of these. Um, So jumping on a bandwagon of wanting to do that as well. So it kind of all came together. Um, and I found this data set.
0: So let me ask you about the curvy lines, Mm -hmm. the maps. I don't know if we actually have a name for that in the data viz community yet. I know it's, it's been hot, especially post iron viz where Christian Felix's winning viz had this. He wasn't the first, but obviously that's one that sort of cemented it as a current technique. How difficult was that to implement?
1: I followed, I had to do some trickery because the map is not, is not like an actual map kind of thing. Yeah. All sorts of layers happening here. Um, so that part was a little tricky, but I followed um, Wendy's Wendy's instruction um, that she has on the Flareledge blog. Um, so I did, it was a little tricky. This did not happen right away. I definitely had to fight with the lines a little bit. Um, it wasn't one of those that worked the first. Time.
0: It may not have worked the first time, but it came together really nicely. Um, oftentimes we don't think about doing monochrome in terms of data viz. But doing this all blue map to indicate snowfall, and it is a gradient, you know, goes to white the um, at certain certain ends of the spectrum. But uh, against the blue background, it turned out to be this really great visual piece. And another thing I want to point out is uh, I really love your use of the pipe to separate data. So oftentimes, um, when we're listing stuff like multiple facets of data on a database, for instance, you have seventy-six inches, Boulder, uh, Boulder County, Colorado. And the date, uh, you're using that pipe to separate the 76 inches from Boulder County, as well as, you know, a different weight of the font, the 76 inches. Like that really stands out. And it's something that if you didn't uh, make a good choice there in terms of sort of separating the data, if you just want spaces or something, it wouldn't be as easy to read in terms of noticing first that weight of the inches. Um, but I, I sort of think that's one of the, the better choices that you can make, in terms, like a dash, isn't as effective in my opinion. And I know I'm getting sort of super nerdy and nitpick, but I just really love how this biz came together. And even down to the little choices that you make uh, like that, I think it turned out really well. You even have that in your, your header where uh, for your, your title, you're using a pipe to separate your snowfall extremes from then your sort of summarization of the story of the data. So let me ask you this. Um, did this particular story come to you right away? Is this something you knew you wanted to talk about? Or is it something you got to from looking at the data? And for context, I'm talking about this uh, the snowstorm.
1: Oh, the snowstorm. Yeah, I guess I wasn't sure how I wanted to um, to kind of lead the story. So that definitely t- sometimes the word the word part can be the hardest part, especially for Makeover Monday. I've noticed that um, that can t- definitely definitely the longest. Kind of what what you actually say about the data. Um, no, so that was definitely you know kind of near the end after i had put together the map i had to think kind of think about how i wanted to lead the story but yeah i think it's really yeah. effective I, well i started to read about this largest snowfall and it's like this is the way to do it i, mean, I, I, can you I imagine agree six feet of snow
0: no <laughs> no that's insane i can't imagine uh, 76 uh, inches of snow i can't i can't imagine 1 foot of snow right now have that's you checked
1: lot. what your county county uh, record is
0: it's got to be like 3 inches tops
1: What's the county, man?
0: Shelby County in Tennessee. So
1: this is the one downside is they need to find. That's Maybe true. Iteration. I will have them easier to find.
0: I- I'm in the ballpark.
1: I'll let you. For it.
0: There, there is okay. Fayette County, which is neighboring, has had okay. Shelby County has had 18 inches of snow in 1892. Yeah. <laughs> That's staggering to me. I can't imagine a foot. If we had a foot and a half of snow around here, it would literally be like the apocalypse. And I'm not using literally figuratively there. When we have the weatherman talking about how there might be snow flurries, any place that sells food immediately sells out of all bread and milk. Those items specifically, like I, I took a picture once at Target and it bread and um, soup were on the same aisle. And the entire bread half of the aisle was empty and the entire soup half of the aisle was stocked, which seems counterintuitive to me. Like if I am super cold out, I think I would like some warm, hearty soup to warm me up inside. But no, we're making like bread milk sandwiches when it's barely 32 degrees with a quarter inch of snow on the ground.
1: Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense. Hot chocolate and soup. That's what you do. And,
0: and I mean, you're like wearing shorts.
1: Yeah. My
0: no, I. Oh, come on. Like I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I like, I'm, I'm expecting more of Maine.
1: Um, my kids run around in shorts and flip-flops for way too long. It's crazy.
0: Also, as a side note, Aquaman is from Maine, which most people don't know. So instead of thinking of like Jason Momoa and like his surfer dude attitude, you need to think of him as more of like a long shore- shoresman with like a, a thick Mainer accent. Like <laughs> that's how I see Aquaman and it's delightful. So, um, as we're wrapping up today and I've really enjoyed our time together and talking through some of these visits with you. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to the, uh, the listeners or anyone you would like to shout out or anything you'd like to promote?
1: Sure. Um, I have to give a shout out to my husband, Jason, um, about a year ago, I had to sit him down and say, I'm, I'm doing this makeover Monday thing every week and you're going to need to help me with kids and, and whatnot. Um, and he has been, um, and definitely one fan. It's been great. Um, and then everyone in the data fam who has been just so incredibly willing to help, um, you know, I've reached out to quite a few people where I'm like, Hey, how have you done this? Or, or what do you think? Can you give me feedback? Um, and just, everybody's been so helpful um, to provide feedback, um, chat about this thing that we love. Um, so it's been, it's been great. It's the community has honestly blown me away. Um, And I would also like to encourage anyone who's kind of wavering about jumping into a community project um, to just to just do it. Don't be scared. Um, Don't worry about what everybody else does. um, And just for your own.
0: I second all that. Uh, Don't be afraid. Just get out there and do it. Don't be embarrassed if you feel like other people are ahead of you. Don't feel awkward if you feel like you're behind. Everyone that you're looking out there and you enjoy their work started in the same place you did. Uh, the way they got to where they are now is by putting their stuff out there. No one will uh, be judgy of you. Everyone is just looking to help each other succeed. And that's the amazing thing. We, uh, we really don't have much of a hierarchy, as Adamika once said.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: So with that, thanks for coming on, Agata. And uh, I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders
1: for the Data Plus Love Network.